hey, you out there. We have a great show for you today. I have in our studio William Ramsey. He is an investigative journalist, an author, a documentarian, and the host of what is becoming one of my favorite podcasts on the net, which, interestingly enough, is one of the top 1% podcasts in the world, I think. In the world, William? 0.5%, yeah. I just moved up into 0.5%. So I'm in the top a- 15,000 podcasts. See, that's that's incredible. That's awesome. We're excited to have him here. And interesting enough, I wanted to share this with you. We have a mutual friend. We're part of the Fringe Radio Network, and Johnny McMahon wanted me to tell you hello. Sure. Hey, Johnny. I have, a, I have a question he wanted me to ask you, but I'm going to wait to the end to get to that. That was one of my first interviews. It was with Johnny. It was episode 20 of The Iron Show, so yeah, infamous marker. So. Yeah. He's uh he, he's 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 become a pretty good friend. We've been texting, and he knew I was cool. interviewing you today. And he's like, "Ask him about we've this." Been, he and I've been <laughs> friends for twelve years, so it's been, we've been friends for a while. Yeah, yeah, he's a great guy. He is fringy and rough, but you know, so am I. So I appreciate that. So, <laughs> all right, I'm gonna let my my partner here start us off with the questions we have, and, and I just want to go where the Holy Spirit leads, where you know whatever hole we need to go down, because uh, we're we're trying to. We're both Christians, and we're trying to look at this from a you know Christian perspective. And I know that you're not a materialist; that you're a, a supernaturalist, like I guess we would be, and and a Christian. And so it, it's it's going to be a pretty easy conversation, I think, to have. So, Lindsay, go after it. Well, I guess we better start with the man. I guess, so to speak. I mean, I mean, all the rabbit trails we could go down with. with with the various topics you cover, they all seem to loop back around to Mr. Crowley. So I guess my first question is, what got you on the trail of Aleister Crowley? Yeah, it's kind of a strange thing. I was always kind of a fringe researcher. I kind of lost faith in the corporate media in the 90s, so I was always trying to figure things out uh, myself by reading alternate websites and trying to put things together. So when 9-11 happened, once I realized there was a lot of problems with that, I was researching that independently online and just kept seeing these numbers. 11, there was this guy, his name was Captain May, who wrote an article with all these 11s. He just noticed a super preponderance, over preponderance of this number popping up. And I was like, oh, yeah, he's right. This number is popping up all the time. So it was just during my research. And then looking in the common culture and seeing the 93 number pop up in 77, I was like, oh, yeah, these, these, somebody's putting something out into the you know psychosphere with these numbers. So I really tried to figure out what it was. And then I I don't know where I figured out the 11, but I re- realized that 11 was a very important number in the Western esoteric tradition, which led me to Crowley. So then I figured out Crowley. And then I figured out Crowley was also writing things with 77 and 93 and, and 175. So that was kind of like, once it, once I realized that there was a darker aspect to the events of 9-11 taking place on 11, right, September 11th, I really wanted to research Crowley. So that's how I got on to Crowley. I had a very superficial understanding of Crowley and magic with a K in general. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I really wanted to find out everything about him that I could from original documents. So I read a lot of biographies. I read his biography, which is called Confessions. Um, which he called a hagiography, like well, a, I, mean, a, a I think, I think about Augustine and 
Yeah, so it's the opposite of that. But he does tell a lot of honest, I mean, he, he divulges a lot of things about himself and his activities and where he was. He stopped, he, I think he finished that when he was like 45, so it's not a total complete autobiography, but he thought of himself as important enough to put mm-hmm. that together. It's like 500 pages or something. So I read all that stuff, and then I just read, read his old diary. I really looked at Crowley not, I wasn't trying to glean anything from the occult uh, rituals. or th- I was really trying to look at, at him as a cultural and historical figure. And uh, that's really kind of what led me to realize that a lot of his ideas overlap with kind of what people call the New World Order and what um, is, happened on 9-11, really kind of this movement towards global control and the movement of power, kind of the social hierarchy to the top of the pyramid, so to speak. So, and it, which is still happening today. I mean, this whole WEF. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that Crowley, as an elitist, Crowley as an occultist, um, I think his ideas overlap. If not, some people are copying his ideas in the kind of uh, very dark global world, dark world order that we are entering into, if not already in. Well, and also... Crowley, the secret agent man. I mean, he, right. that, that's a, a whole other dimension to it. Well, uh, what I'd like to, to ask you, because I want people to read your books. I mean, that's, 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 you know, you guys out there, you need to read these books. They're awesome. But can you give us like just a brief overview of Crowley himself? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Prophet of Evil now it's on its third edition. When I first put it out in 2010, I was printing it out. I don't know if, if anybody has any old copies of my original well, please take a photocopy and send it to me because I was literally printing the book out and selling it with a plastic binder. But it's on its third edition. It looks a little bit more presentable. But Crowley was born in 1875. He died in 1947. He was 72. He was from the only child from a wealthy family. His parents were both part of what was called the Plymouth Brethren. They were influenced very heavily by Darby, the mm-hmm. dispensationalist. But they were mm-hmm. actually a subset. They thought they were kind of set apart from the Plymouth Brethren. They were part of a subset called the Exclusive Brethren. So they were Actually, very... Yeah. Kind of kind of, sort of cultic themselves. I mean, you know, he was cultic. Yeah. You could make an argument that's for that. A whole so. nother, that's a whole other edition. I mean, the, we can get into the depth of Darby and stuff, and how dispensation yeah. of what he was like. I mean, some yeah. people have done research on him, and he's a curious character. But yeah. um, he, so, so Crowley was the privilege. His dad, his family money came from brewing. You can look up Crowley beer and you can see some of the bottles and labels that his family was associated with. They also sold food and things like that through the kind of pub system, you know, the vibrant pub system in England. So he never had to work. His parents were well off. His father died when he was 12. Um, and his dad was a pamphleteer. You can actually see some of his pamphleteers. So we'd go out and, and evangelize for the faith. But Crowley really liked his dad. He always said positive things. So then he was left in the care of his mother and uncle, which he didn't like. He was sent off to private schools. Very vicious, uh, late uh, 19th century, what we would call private school in the States. They'd be public schools. But he was beaten and uh, harassed and to the, you know, bullied to the point of his life. Like he almost died. So they took him out and they, you know, they said, hey, you should do mountain climbing or get some kind of athletic endeavors. He was uh trained by tutors and made the uh, pass the entrance exam to get into Cambridge University, very prestigious. He said that he wanted to be one of the glories of the future. And he was with a really, you know, very important people went to school there, the King and uh, 
you know, other luminaries. So although mm -hmm. he said that he was uh, surrounded by a more or less prosperous set of parasites while he was there. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so he rejected, turned his back on Christianity. He said he wanted to become the chief of staff of the devil. And that was really the turning point, like in his early 20s, where he set off and he was he said he was white hot on three subjects, poetry, mountain climbing and esotericism or the occult. So wow. he began traveling the world. He's kind of a hard person to pin down. He wasn't in one place at one time for very long. He circumnavigated the world or the earth twice at that time, which was very unusual, kind of at the turn of the in 19th to the 20th century. Um, he actually passed through like San Francisco a week before the famed 1906 earthquake. So he, mm. he was like in strange places at strange times his whole life. So that kind of ties into his intelligence background. I, he probably was an intel agent uh, from from when he left Cambridge. Nobody really knows the original contact he made. At least I don't. Maybe somebody else does. But he was always in strange places at strange times. There were very big happenings in the Russian Empire in 1904, 1905. And he was there taking this kind of group called the Ragtime Girls through there, which uh, is where he kind of learned a lot of stuff about Orthodox Christianity, which he integrated into his religion that he called Palima. But really his occult stuff, um, he was he always writing poetry. His poetry isn't really recognized. He wrote all reams of poetry. He's not really, he's kind of recognized as a C-level poet. But... Mm. Um, he mountain climbed in Switzerland, two times in India, um, in Mexico. So he was doing that all the while, but he'd be traveling and studying the occult and writing books on the occult and accruing information about the occult. He joined the Golden Dawn with William Butler Yeats was in there. Um, they had a kind of a squabble. He made promises not to divulge any of their secrets. Once he left, he divulged their secrets and then got sued. <laughs> so there's a kind of a famous lawsuit between Crowley and Mathers. So it's kind of an indicator of Crowley's attitude later on in life. But uh, the most important thing that happened to him, he said in his life, happened in 1904 on a return trip from India, passing through Cairo, Egypt, where um, his girlfriend or wife at the time, Kelly, uh, she said they're waiting for you, and what it was was somebody was going to dictate to him this book, this kind of received, communicated book. He said there was a being over his shoulder. He called it Awaz, A-I-W-A-Z, called him the Lord of the Air, kind of has a biblical reference. Yeah, yeah. Believe that? So that dictated, I think it was April 10th, 11th, and 12th of 1904, and that became the Book of the Law, which kind of became a central piece of his religion and in that it's you know you see the number 11 it says number 11 is are for those of us so it's kind of like an internal code that's drafted into this and he, he created proofs according to him that indicate that the book itself was written by an, uh, what he would call a preternatural entity mm -hmm. and so and he spent the rest of his life kind of praying to Awas, this being who he later reveals in magic and theory and practice in a footnote that that is Lucifer or the devil of this earth uh, basically admits that. And you can read that in, um, in my book, Prophet of Evil. So that 1904, then he kind of comes to the United States. He, he meets a lot of different people on the way, comes to the United States probably as a spy. I mean, most a hundred percent assurance that he's a spy, but he's playing like he's sympathetic to the German cause and the Irish cause. And like uh, tears up. He, I mean, these are all in the New York Times too. So like, he goes out into 
Hudson Bay and tears up his passport and and claims allegiance to the Irish nationalist cause, which was a big issue at that time. Mm, yeah. um, and then supposedly he's writing pro-German propaganda with these two magazines called The International and Fatherland. So, and, and then he says his work is done. He actually showed up in the United States on the Lusitania, right? So then once, uh, I think it was the, it's acknowledged that both World War One and World War Two, the UK was always trying to get the US on their side and, and elbow out any German influence in the US. And so he said when he was done, like once the US came into the war, World War One, with the Allies, his work was done and he left. He went back to England. And then he went to Sicily and started something he called the Abbey of Lima, which was kind of supposed to be a magical kind of uh, monastery. He was kicked out by Mussolini in 23. Then he ends up in France. He gets kicked out of France. Um, then he ends up in Weimar, Germany at the strangest time, all the way to the to the advent or rise of Hitler. And then wow. leaves there and comes home. He's a, he's a junkie. He's a drug addict. He has asthma. He's always trying to kick the habit. He uses all kinds of ether and cocaine, and you know he's using mushrooms. So uh, he, at the last parts of his life, he's heavily addicted. But he really never gave up on the magical worldview, and uh, died in a kind of upper scale nursing home, retirement home in Hastings, um, at the south of the UK or like on the coastal UK. So that was 1947. So, but. He, I think really what, what people reference it to him and why he's an important figure in modern occultism, Satanism, is because he wrote so much that people can learn about. And he has these rituals that people can practice that supposedly give you power or whatever you want, you know, any worldly wish that you want. He's supposed to be able to use these rituals to, gr to grant them to you. So I think that that's, he's really the most accomplished or comprehensive aggregator of occult knowledge of both both east and west so he always integrated into his stuff yoga and hinduism and chinese mm. mysticism and the i ching so i think the promise of kind of like his total freedom view is you know you're not encumbered by god you are a god and you can take drugs and have as much licentious behavior as you want and those are all integrated into the rituals of really what he kind of uh, added to things after the golden dawn was at the use of drugs and sex and rituals, ritual magic type stuff. So um, yeah. I think that that's kind of it. And that's why the modern magicians, the modern uh, artists, people in Hollywood are attracted to this, you know, what Crowley offers to people. Yeah. It's just hedonism. One-on-one. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you were talking about, uh, obviously, since he was a, a revelator of a lot of the esoteric traditions and stuff, he, he put it all out there, but he coded it, though, so it wouldn't be Correct. easy. So what was the significance between um, the number 11 as it relates to Crowley? Well, I think it, it has a lot of meanings in the old esoteric tradition, even before Crowley. So in the Golden Dawn, and I include some of the old references in the golden dawn it's always been a malevolent number but it is the coming together of the five and the six the hexagram and the pentagram which symbolize the macrocosm and the microcosm so it's really kind of a magical number mm -hmm. but like i said earlier it's like comes into 
the book of the law and also some of his other dictums like uh, do what thou wilt should be the whole of the laws, 11 syllables, 11 letters. So it's just part of his whole kind of outlook. And it's everywhere. I mean, it's everywhere. So you can see it in the modern culture. It's in Harry Potter. Harry Potter's wand is 11 inches. Tyler Durden. You can see it over and over again that it's integrated by these guys. Sandy and I just got finished watching Stranger Things this week with season four. And and I was on the third season and I finally realized her name is Eleven. (laughs) Eleven, right. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that those guys, when they formulated Stranger Things, they had listened to my things. Because they put, even in the first season, they put so much stuff from my uh, talks. They have like literal symbols of the West Memphis Three with the bikes. And one of the kids' name is Byers. Like, it cannot be random. Oh, wow. Yeah, and then they have a smiley face at the end. At the, yep, yep. At the yep. end of uh, episode eight on the first season. Like, why is that there? And then the Demo Gorgon is mentioned in Prophet of Evil as one of the 77 names of Satan. So, like, it's just, it's too, it's not, I don't think it's a synchronicity. I think they've they, they, uh, done a little bit of homework. I, I mean, I, I, I watched it, so. Yeah, I, my, my family gets annoyed by me because <laughs> the predictive programming, I see it everywhere and I see patterns. I mean, it's just crazy. Maybe some of my autism, I don't know. But, but Well, I, well it I, is I, interesting because if you look at the most recent season four, like I've been talking within the last couple of years about this whole idea of portals and the gods under the water under the ONA. And what do they do? Like in one of the, the sequences of that episode, they swim under the water and find a portal. I I just I find that maybe it's a synchronicity, but uh, I think maybe they might be listening. So I don't know. That's that's pretty cool. (laughs) Yep. So William, who would you say comes closest to to the Crowley, Alistair Crowley of today? There's a lot around. There's a lot of these Crowley. Some people they're passing away, but they've all carried on the tradition of Crowley, whether it's Genesis P. Orge, who died within the last couple of years. But I would say, like, I studied Damien Eccles, and he's he's even just, somebody sent mm-hmm. me a picture of him. He's with, involved in the West Memphis Three. And there's yeah. just tons of occultism suffuses that entire event in his life and the people surrounded him. But somebody sent me a screenshot of him talking on some subject, and there in the background is a picture of Aleister Crowley. And he's he's published and put out tons of... Uh, Tons of statements by Crowley on his social media and things that reference Crowley 11s, 93s, the whole bit. So he's, I think he's part of that kind of no, new occult religion. Well, and, and he really he, didn't he, exist before Crowley. Go ahead, Lizzie. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, I just thought it was interesting, the trial, just from what I've seen of it, he, this whole, oh, I don't, I don't know much about him, but then he tells you pretty important details about him. <laughs> right, but here's the interesting thing. He said on the tri- trial, he said, "Did you know anything about the cult?" I don't remember verbatim what he said, but he said, "I know everything about the cult." And he said yeah. that when he was 18. But really, what got me interested in the West Memphis Three is I had just gotten completed with my Alistair Crowley, and I was researching my book, Children of the Beast, and I came across a video where the, the and I had watched Paradise Lost from '96. I had watched mm-hmm. that you know, 10 years ago, and I'd heard they'd gotten out of jail. I just assumed it was a technicality, but I was watching this video, and the prosecutor asked him what 
what do you know about Aleister Crowley? And I just said, what? This was involved in this case? I had no idea. And what it was, what they were bringing up is that in between his arrest and the trial, he was writing this cryptogram that had Aleister Crowley's name on it. Mm -hmm. And that's in the court records. You can see it. And that's what the prosecutor was referencing. And on the table of the prosecutor is a copy of Magic and Theory and Practice. So they were on to him uh, back then and, and when the trial in 1994. So um, I think that he's really kind of, he, he's gelled around himself all kinds of occultists. Well, that's what I was about to say. It's just, it's fascinating to me. I've been tracking back one of his number one fans. I mean, he has many, but one of his number one fans is Johnny Depp, who is of the Viper Viper Room fame with River Phoenix, ODN and all that. And it just, it's almost like uh, when I was growing up, I grew up Baptist and there was this book called The Trail of Blood, where it basically this book followed the Baptist faith through throughout all of church history, you know, how there was always a representative of the Baptist faith or whatever. But I see this through the occult stuff, going back to the, you know, as far as back, further back to Crowley and stuff like that. But in America, through the, the 30s and 40s from Operation Paperclip down, and it just fascinates me that, that the intelligence community is so intertwined with the occult. It just, uh, oh, yeah. it blows me away, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think that there is that kind of nexus with the occult and intel going back to John D and some of these other guys, whether it's masonry, things like that, with different variants of the occult. Crowley was post-Masonic, but uh, yeah. yeah, the intel connections, there's absolutely no question about that. I mean, if you look at Skull and Bones as a perfect example, they were uh, formative members of CIA. I think that like when... There's a uh, infamous picture of Truman signing the, Nas- signing the National Security Act, and like four of the guys behind him are all bonesmen. They must just go back and holler and hoot it up. Like that's why they want those pictures, is so they can go back to the tomb and laugh about these guys signing these documents that benefit them. I mean, the CIA's history is incredible. It's really incredible. Yeah, yeah, it really blows me away. Unbelievable. But yeah, Depp, I mean, we can go into Depp's occultism. He, all, most of all of his movies are occult. He yeah. is a fellow travel. I didn't know at the time when I studied him 10 years ago. But I think I can pretty much safely say he's a fellow traveler with Eccles. And he's probably one of his biggest benefactors, him and uh, Peter Jackson. Uh, the Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Yeah. 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 Wow. They were, my understanding is they bankrolled. He was kind of languishing in jail, but he got a lot of these celebrities to help him out, and these rich celebrities, and got really a, a superb appellate lawyer, Sky Reardon, who worked for Barry Bonds, I think, and mm-hmm. uh, put pressure on the system and just, you know, slowly grinded them down, and, and then the judge left, the original Judge Bennett left, and then the original DA left, so they got new blood, and they just said, hey, you know. You guys, uh, there's no DNA, and they kept doing this kind of CSA, CSI effect kind of nonsense. And uh, it really convinced the public. It really, I think, that the majority of the public, after some time, after all the PR, believed that they were innocent. So, yeah, I was I was a part of I used to think, oh, they just, they wore black and they listened to death metal. So that, they had good, you know, they had good PR. They had good, you know, phraseology. They had the whole from a crime they didn't commit. Mm-hmm. Um, they wore black. They were outsiders. This was a very religious right wing town, you know. So a lot of people like key into these. They're probably all tested in, you know, 
public relations firms or um, test groups or stuff like that. So they probably had it down, man. So, and I think that's really how they raised money. They raised ten to twenty million dollars. Wow, incredible sum. Yeah, it's yeah. never, it's never been accounted. Never been in a public accounting for that. Mm. Wow. Well, I mean, you even see it. We were talking about Stranger Things earlier. I, I mean, I don't mean to keep going back to that. It's fresh on my mind. But you even see it in the in the character Eddie, where he he really was innocent, but they the whole town did the satanic panic, and he was, of course, the the you know, and and they trying to push push the whole dynamic that just because you wear a jean jacket and play Dungeons and Dragons, that you know you, you could still be innocent and. I just saw a hat tip to the West Memphis Three in that in that season. Yeah. You know. There's no question about it. They actually modeled that character on Eccles, so it's yeah. it's overt. It's not even like something they denied. Yeah. Well, yeah. the last season of True Detective kind of played with that too. True. The, the imagery was all there: the kids, the bikes, yeah. them disappearing, yeah. not being yeah. found, rural, going through the forest, all that stuff. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Um, what's the future of the case? I know you're a facts guy, not an opinion guy, but I want to ask your opinion. Do you think it'll ever be resolved? Is is there even a possibility for it to be resolved? I think it got resolved. They com- they said they were guilty in 2011. They signed yeah. with the best attorneys, with full knowledge. There's no real good constitutional claims done. They signed on the line that was dotted. That they there was enough evidence to convict them of first degree murder in a court of law. They signed it and got out. Period. That's really the legal thing, not the court of public opinion. But if they take that to another court, a functioning court these days, you got to ask real questions about that. A non-communistic, uh, you know, infiltrated court that actually operates under the principles and precepts of the American legal system. It's binding. They signed it. They had the best attorneys. They each had their own attorneys. You can see them sign it like Reardon sitting behind them. They, they did it with full conscience. They got out. So it's already resolved. What isn't resolved is the public mind and people getting mind controlled and mind raped by uh, West Memphis 3 propaganda. Makes me think, and, and I'm sorry, Lindsay, I just want to ask this one question real quick. It makes me think, you know, since I'm more of a supernaturalist and all that kind of stuff, if if ritual magic could have been involved in the uh, you know possibility of, of him getting out, absolutely, some absolutely. heavy hitters I think behind it's probably him, probably doing you know? rituals and spells and yep, all kinds of stuff. Yep, I mean they used all the techniques: behavioral modification, behavioral influence, Milgram experiment, things that people think. Like most people will just go along. If three people think a thing, the fourth will just say, "Yep, that that line is smaller than the other one. You got it, boss." Just to yep. not. Ruffle feathers. That's the, my, that my, is the default setting for humanity, sadly. And that happens in juries. Ju- juries all the time, you know. Businesses, Jury. everything, families. Yeah. 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 Well, William, give us kind of a brief rundown on the order of the nine angles and how it affects, how it connects rather to Crowley and and Freemasonry. Well, the Order of Nine Angles was kind of an offshoot of cult groups that was formulated late 70s, early 80s in the UK. It was formulated by a guy by the name of David Myatt, who was a frustrated, farthest right, not literal national socialist, like mm-hmm. not just name-calling national socialist, but a real kind of national socialist outlook. He did not; They did not have a lot of popularity in the UK. I think they could only get 10 or 11% of the vote. And so his kind of 
uh, default or whatever was to get get involved in occultism and kind of promote his ideas through that. So the Order of Nine Angles was an intent that very intelligent guy. This is pre-internet, but he also absorbed a lot of Crowley. He was affiliated by his own admission in an OTO group in London. Mm. He was in uh, communication and correspondence with people like Michael Aquino, the Temple of Set. They met him and knew him. So he was kind of playing off. And I think that he felt that some of these other occult groups and occult leaders were kind of play acting and not really mm-hmm. yeah. being yeah. as uh, authentic to the precepts of Luciferianism or Satanism as he saw. So that's why they focused on a smaller group, probably focused on killing people, offering people or human sacrifice. So um, you can see that in my book, there's these uh, letters of Stephen Brown. Like he had multiple pseudonyms, much like Crowley actually. So he had multiple pseudonyms, wrote a bunch of different things, but um, the ONA is really kind of a modern, a modern expression of uh, esotericism or occultism, and it really blossomed during the internet. A lot of people got involved internationally, and it kind of grew. And there were these Nexians, which are very similar to kind of like a intelligence or dissident cell, kind of a communist cell or something like that. So they have these mm-hmm. Nexians all over the world, and I think that their simple precept of being more evil than the other guy is like what distinguishes them from Crowley. Crowley mm. talked about, I mean, I just put up something called human sacrifice, Crowley and human sacrifice on Twitter. People, I mean, I actually have that on my website, but people went berserk. They didn't understand that Crowley had written about human sacrifice. It was just not as overt as the ONA. So, um, so the ONA has different things. They have kind of a different uh, pantheon. They have 21 dark gods. You're supposed to engage in vampirism, nighttime stuff. and It has kind of a different um, culture or ideology than the OTO. But you're really supposed to get possessed. Like, you're supposed to get possessed at night and then become unpossessed and take on the countenance of some of these dark gods. Mm-hmm. And it goes all the way up to today. Like, they just had this guy who I wrote about in my book, um, Global Death Cult. His name was Brandon Clint Russell. He just got arrested February 3rd. 20 days ago, three weeks ago, for allegedly trying to blow up the entire electrical infrastructure of Baltimore with the intent to kind of destroy the city. Wow. And his girlfriend, her girlfriend was uh, Glenn Daniel. Her um, screen name was Nithra, N-Y-T-H-R-A, <laughs> which is one of the 21 dark gods from the Order of Nine Angles. So it's around. It's around. Some of this is absorbed and it kind of morphed into occulted national socialism and it's part of the, the atom weapon and there's been deaths associated with it there's mm-hmm. been people stabbing people slitting people's throats killing people in parks in london and toronto so it's very strange but it's very much part of the current modern system of internet communications and travel yeah mm-hmm. well when i think of uh ona i, I don't know i, I just think pop culture i think of the the whole movie fight club and it, it just seems like it, it's kind of and it was probably even before the ona was real big but it, it seems kind of modeled uh, after the ona what do you think right. of that well, no you make that good point that's good it's 1999 when that movie came out right tons of smiling yep. faces in that movie yep yep it's, yep. A, it's like you're uh possessing tyler durden's 11 letters smiley face at the ending i mean it's incredible and it actually kind of uh 
predicts kind of 9-11. Go watch the last scene of, of Spike Club because the last two Twin Towers are what followed there, followed 1999. It's incredible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think the book, when was the book? 1996. So it was right out kind of with, look into Palniuk too. He's a very interesting character. But yeah, huh. when does the book get written? Yeah, 1996. Wow. Yeah, no, and it's monastic. You're invited in. It's an underground group. There's all yes. kinds of like super, super secret stuff. Yeah, super secret. You know, I mean, can't talk most, about of the, it, right? most of the secret societies are not so secret societies. I mean, you, you can find out too much about them, you know, but th- this one's very elusive, it seems like to me. So. Go read the book because the movie doesn't emphasize it as much, but the, the book talks about human sacrifice. So the soap is a symbol of human sacrifice. When you uh, see that picture, yeah, 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 it's all about the what. The reason they're making soap is because the Irish druids would burn these bodies, and then the fat would come out. Yeah, I've heard up. that. So it's, a, it's a direct yeah. reference to human sacrifice. The, where yeah. the fat and the lie from the ashes joined, it would form suds or something like that. Mm. Yeah, it's a direct reference to human sacrifice. Yeah, but that also ties in. To the whole druidic fact, and, and that that leads to a, another question that I have of the, the smiley face killers, because druidic, um, the 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 West Memphis, what was it, the West Memphis three guys threw the bodies of those those eight year olds in water, and that's a druidic type rite, right. correct? Mm-hmm. Right. So right. I did a really uh, good show with uh, Christopher Knowles. Of the Secret Son speaks. I think we did a show about his research into Druidism, and I think he kind of expanded the understanding of what was going on because I had come across that in re- researching the West Memphis Three. They used to walk around with staves, kind of like they were Gandalf or something. Yeah, but, uh, I didn't know how deep it went, and I think that and that uh, Order of Nine Angle Order of Nine Angles has a significant, uh, you know. Double heel. Well, one of the helixes of the double helixes is, is druidism. So it's all mm. going back into the forest and rituals and important mm. locations and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's there. There's no question. Mm. So it's like a neo paganism, like it's the the rebirth of a paganistic worldview, right? So, well, and I wonder how much that has to do with my, my son, who's 20. I, I'm taking him down the rabbit hole with me. He has noticed a, a massive influx of Norris mythology and Norris stuff on the internet. You know, have you heard anything about that? Do you know what's going on with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, the Order of Nine Angles, they were very, like, Corley had no problems. He didn't have as much of a uh, distaste for including Jewish Kabbalic ideas into his kind of thing, but the ONA is not like that. So they reject anything Nazarene or Jewish, mm-hmm. right? So that's kind of like the enemy. So they, instead of having the Kabbalah, they have the tree of word, but spelled W-Y-R-D. And mm-hmm. so they're supposed to kind of progress up this tree of word, which is kind of synonymous with fate. Um, so uh, you'll see that I did a show called the word is the word. You can see that on my Rockland channel, but, mm-hmm. uh, going into how predominant this kind of concept is and leads over into metal bands and European culture and Norse culture. So I think that you're seeing as kind of the church's influence recedes these 
these kind of new groups like I, the neo-paganist cell the neo-paganist kind of mini cell is is a real thing it's not a joke with mm. these kind of different ideas that are not they're out there they're in the united states there's one really creepy one in virginia these kind of uh you know nordic kind of yeah. groups worshiping the whole pan the whole pantheon yeah. i mean odin yeah. and thor and, and all mm. of them yeah, the tattoos, you know, all that stuff. So it's it's uh, you're we're entering into a different, different kind of uh, very variegated kind of uh, mindscape where it's not all uniform. You yeah. have people with just really different ideas and very sophisticated. Some of these guys who are in these groups, like I had a conversation, like. I know I would like people have researched some people from the ONA and they have this idea of shrenching where you're not supposed to be overt. You're not supposed to be obvious. So if you saw, you know, Michael Aquino or Crowley with the bald head or LaVey, you go, these guys are, you know, look like they're on the occult, but the ONA encourages you to look like the normal people, like a normal person, which is really a much different thing. So if you were at a bar and I am, the women are involved too. So mm-hmm. some of these women mm-hmm. are, you would, you would, they could be like at in Beverly Hills, you know, in a nice designer dress, honestly. And some of the men you would you would think were like uh, just athletic uh, guys because athleticism is part of the training for the ONA too. They're supposed to bike a lot of ways or hike or do something. So it's a much different like yeah, you the, you're the, the commonly held notions of what is an occultist or a satanist. The, those old notions, yeah. Well, that kind of leads. Go ahead, Lindsay. Oh, well, I was just going to say, it leads me to the, the next question. I mean, this this idea that these so-called far-right groups, I mean, do you think they're kind of flying under the radar because we're so focused on the far left right now? And I, th- I think to a certain extent. I think that uh, governments around the world are being becoming more uh, tuned to them. They're more aware. I don't think that they've been around that long, honestly. So I think mm-hmm. it's a new kind of event within the last two decades um, mm. with the advent of the Internet. But they're starting to ban uh, Australia banned. I think it was Fuhrer Krieg or Sonnen Krieg division. So if you are part of that group, you get a 10 year automatic sentence. Mm. Uh, you go to jail for 10 years. And I think the UK did that too. the US in Congress has there's been letters bandied about by congressmen or senators about the dangers of the order of nine angles. So I think that the awareness is getting heightened in certain certain places, at least in law enforcement. Um, but I think that um, I think that that I mean that when Adam Waffen was doing their kind of huge swatting things, like they swatted like two hundred people, they swatted Trump's head of the Department of Homeland Security. So they were very ambitious. But a lot of those guys got wrapped up and went to yeah. jail. Mm-hmm. So. I think, and uh, to me, I mean, just I'm not in law enforcement. I don't have any law enforcement connections. I've never given information other than what's in my book. But it seems like they knew that this guy, Brandon Clint Russell, was going to probably do something else. And they got him before something bad happened. Um, so they probably are aware of some of these guys. So I would say that within law enforcement, like the FBI or something, they're probably aware of them. Well, I forgot what there's a new kind of acronym for them. It's like radical, ethnically influenced groups or something. I forgot the name. Yeah. So I think it's there. I mean, I I, I don't know. 
I think it's a, it's like a, it's something that's happened fairly new. These are kind of newer ideas, so maybe they're harder for people. And that's kind of why I wrote the book. Is like there were a bunch of deaths in twenty before the pandemic. Uh, people were shooting people's parents and shooting their friends and stuff. So, well, I framed it in a left right thing, but I, I mean the whole left right thing really breaks down with groups like that. All and even Nazism to a to a great degree just doesn't fit our left right paradigm very well. It's, I think Nazis I really were socialists. You know, yeah, they were socialists. There was no joke. I mean, if you joined the National Socialist Party, you got all these benefits. You got like free house. You yeah. got enough kids, you got benefits. So that doesn't fit in with the normal capitalist system. I think they were really just a race-based yeah. um, political party. Yeah. So all the benefit for us and everybody else gets nothing. Or gets uh, gets kicked out or thrown into the concentration camp. Yeah. yeah. Socialism for the right people. Yeah, socialism for the right people. Which, you know, is, I mean, that's not much different than communism. If you yeah, don't yeah, say the right yeah. thing, you get the, the, end of the day. You get the gulag. I mean, there, there's already gulag treatment right now. I mean, this current regime has put people into oh, yeah. jails without their constitutional rights. So these people do not, I mean, at the very top, the rot, the fish rots at the head. They do not really. I mean, it's really a shame, too, because I think Biden has a law degree. Um, he knows that these people are entitled to a speedy trial, but they're not getting it. They're not getting even a fair treatment. And their civil rights are being. Um, Impeded. I think a lot of people's civil rights actually. I mean, I think the Civil Rights Act that was put together after Civil War actually applies to a lot of the censorship that's going on because I think it's coming from the government. The the tech companies are just following orders that come down from the administration, which should scare wow. the living daylights out of everybody. But they don't seem to. They seem to be kind of just numb. They don't get it. Mm. Yes, yeah, there's there's a real compartmentalization, which is important, you know, in in the whole government system. It seems like that it one, one the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. I agree so, with that for sure. Yeah. So, uh, talk to us about the smiley face killings. I'm super interested in this because I saw on another true, true crime YouTube that kind of just touched the surface of it, but but. Yeah, I mean, it comes out of, it was put together, it was, the name was given by two guys. One was Gil Gilbertson, who was a criminologist, I think, in Wisconsin. The other one was Gannon, who was a police officer in New York City. And it's really the phenomenon of young men going out at night, later to be found in water. And they correlated this kind of picture of the smiley face with these deaths. So it was really kind of a mystery. It's an urban myth. It's been covered on coast to coast. started kind of in the mid-90s, kind of with the advent of the Internet. And it's really a mystery, but it's gone on. Like, I've done two documentaries now. I've covered about 120 or 140 cases of these disappearances. And later yeah, I can't, waters. I can't find your documentaries. I went looking for them. Where, are they on Rumble? Yeah, Vimeo. Or? Vimeo. Vimeo. You just go okay. to Vimeo William Ramsey. You can actually see my first one on. It's still on uh, Amazon. But it probably didn't. Okay. I probably kicked off of every search, search <laughs> uh, engine on Earth. Yeah. I've been censored so bad, like. I've had three YouTube channels taken away. The bane of telling the truth, William. <laughs> yes, uh, I'll take it. it as a badge of honor. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, so like, yeah, but so this phenomenon still going on. You can go watch or listen to Jim Smith, Smiley Face Cult, because the death count's restarting now. The pandemic kind of over. Nobody's really mm. buying the, the hype anymore. So Chicago's a hot spot. Uh, Austin, these urban centers, is really seems to be where happens most but some are really obviously 
foul play. Like people are disappearing for 40 days. They're disappearing for three weeks. Um, and very unusual. Like, especially after, I mean, the, the pattern is the same. Young man disappears. Massive family gets panicked. Massive police response. Search party. Um, flyers go up all around town. Police, uh, uh, new, local news follow the story. Not, nobody finds anything. Three weeks later, body shows up. And some are really obvious, you know. Like I said, they're obviously some misadventure going on. One is guy in uh, Shane. I can't remember his last name, but he was in Maniunk, uh, Pennsylvania. And he, he, there was this very like little stream that was probably two or three feet deep. And he was last seen by it. So the police and everybody got out and searched for it. They found his car keys. They didn't find him. Where does he show up? Uh, three weeks later in that same spot where they found his car keys. So they could find his car keys, but they couldn't find his body. So somebody's doing something funny. What amazes me is how how are they keeping the bodies from not, you know, <laughs> rotting or, or right. I mean, they're I mean, they not must dead. Be kept, they're not yeah, dead. They're not yeah. dead. Oh wow, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, they one the original cases. I think it was case studies in forensic drownings by Gilbertson and Gannon. They found one of the bodies still had ice, so it it had been frozen. Mm-hmm. It's a really dark, heavy duty, heavy dark stuff, and. Uh, there's one case I covered in my second documentary about a killer who just got convicted. He ate the guy's testicles, but his name was Latunsky, and he had he was on like the male uh, dating apps. The guy's very easy. The guy who he abducted and killed is very easy to remember because his name is Kevin Bacon, like the actor. Yeah. And, uh, I remember yeah, hearing so about there, that. Kevin Bacon yeah. actually, the real actor to his credit, got involved and said, "Hey, it's not me. Somebody help find this guy." And uh, he, the cops, I mean, I criticize cops sometimes, but these cops who were in Michigan did a great job. I don't know how they keyed into it, but they went and talked to this guy, Latunsky, somehow got him to agree to let him look around. And he said, sure. And they said, you want to go down the basement? Sure, let's go down the basement. And they found a fake wall. And in there was a dungeon. And there was the body of Kevin Bacon hanging upside down. So to their credit, they busted. And that's just the one body. Like, I don't know how many times that guy was involved in others naughty stuff or evil stuff you know but you know it's like Dahmer you know how many people were you actually doing that to so um, there's probably a couple you know 20 30 serial killers out there so do you think uh, there's a connection between the ONA and the smiley face killers I think the ideology would explain what's going on with the smiley face killers I couldn't find anything I mean I think the ONA has used smiley faces in certain contexts so but I don't you know I don't have the well, evidence. All the evidence I have is in my books. I yeah. can speculate all day. Yeah, yeah. But I would it would apply for motivation. Like, why is somebody doing this? And if you look at the kind of ideology of the ONA, it's like they're selecting people they deem not to. Like, they have an animus towards Christians. They have an animus towards certain people or alcoholics or something like that. Or don't have noble characteristics. And maybe that would explain why certain people are getting selected. Uh, getting the smiley face killings treatment. I wouldn't know. Yeah. But the whole idea for them is like, if you look at the smiley face, uh, look at the order of nine angles, they have this kind of 300 year plan. They're trying to create this imperium. And these, they're, uh, they're trying to formulate aeonic change, much like Crowley. So since we get kind of back on the ONA real quick, the founder of the ONA briefly converted to Islam. 
Uh, do you think that was sincere, or do you think that was just another angle there of him? I think it was sincere because if if you look at radical Islam or just radical Nazism, the whole kind of philosophy isn't that much different. They want to yeah, have they want to accelerate the end, kill off the enemies, or kill off whatever what the, what's the word would be the the heathen under for Islam and put up yeah. their own kind of. Uh, their own political structure. So I think for him, I mean, if you look at the ONA doctrines of like insight roles and uh, accelerationism Mm -hmm. and doing all this stuff, I don't think it, I don't think it was just another shape shifting attempt, but in the furtherance of of whatever their aims were, chaotic aims. Mm -hmm. Well, in your book, the global death cult, do you talk, you go into detail a lot. I haven't gotten that one yet. That's the only one of your books that I'll have. Does it go? You go into more detail about the ONA and all their idiosyncrasies. And yeah, stuff? the global death cult goes in. I mean, it goes chapter by chapter. So I just go through and talk about Mayat, and then I talk about their ideas, talk about the earlier ideology. I talk about their uh, pamphlets with you know when they're communicating with Michael Aquino, and then that's kind of the foundation of what leads into these acts of people who are influenced by them, whether their names are Meltzer. Von Nudigem, or some of these other suitor, these other characters who are Daniel Hussein. You can read all these people who have tried to, you know, do things based upon you know ONA ideas, which is commit crimes and not get caught, right? Right. Because there's a lot of people getting caught. So, I, so I, that's kind of why I wrote the book. Is like this is happening in the comic culture, and I think. It's filling the space that that has been receded by a lot of things, really, the nuclear family, uh, you know, people who are dislocated due to the Internet because they're on the Internet all the time. Um, And I think that there are people out there who are looking for vulnerable people. A lot of these guys are on some kind of spectrum. So there there are uh, sinister people. Looking for young, impressionable people, they probably always have, right? Um, to to kind of propagate their ideas. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, you can look at Maya too. Like Maya was associated. Like they go through different. You know, they're still the same internally, but they have different name changes. So Adam Waffen officially is dead, and I think now it's called this, uh, American Socialist something. But. Um, back in the UK, Myatt was associated with a guy who was the London nail bomber who carried out three really vicious nail bombing uh, things at bars, which is also an interesting target. But uh, a key mm. target of gays, immigrants, and uh, maybe blacks, I forgot. But um, like it caused havoc. Like there were nails in babies' heads and like just horrible oh, stuff. Wow. People got their yeah. legs blown up. Mm. Very much associated and unrepentant. His name was. Uh, David Copeland was his name. But he was associated with stuff that, that Maya was involved in. So the, it's the furtherance of that kind of chaos and things like that. It's real. So I would expect that, I mean, some of these other infrastructural attacks, I wouldn't be surprised if they have a far-right connection. Some of the ones that haven't been caught, whether it's yeah. North Carolina or Washington. Because that's what... That's what um, Guys like Brandon Clinton Russell were advocating before his arrest in 2017, and then it seems like after his release from prison in uh, 2021. So, do you think that ONA goes up the echelon up to the elites, or I don't know. Yeah. I never had any evidence of that. You know, I just had okay. the, the younger people, so I don't know. There may be 
guys like that who were into these doctrines. It seems like it was a group, like the ONA was different from other occult groups in my mind because they kind of allowed other people to kind of build off the corpus and add information. But I didn't really see any elite, obvious elite um, kind of connections. It seemed more egalitarian. But there may be, I just don't have evidence of that. I don't really, I mean, nobody would admit to it, you know? I don't think they would admit to being an O9A member. Well, William, what's your view on Q and Anon? Some people say Q and Anon. It's a sophisticated form of warfare and psychological operation, I think. I think I don't think they've really achieved anything. But they've got a bunch of people on their side. They can populate with ideas and keep them all kind of herded into uh, a stockade. So, mm. And they've never been right about anything, really, have they? I mean, some of that stuff is obviously... I mean, it's a really a testing thing in psychology. If I can get you to believe... If I can get you to the point where you can believe that John F. Kennedy Jr. is alive, I've got you. I own you. And I think that all those people who've done that, that's where they're at. It's like it's kind of like Scientology. There is a god mm. called Zenu on Tigiak, right? Yes, right. boss. I got you. Yeah. That's like that's the treasure thing. Whether it's uh, moon alien bases on Mars or something like that, that's what they're doing. So a lot of these people aren't. Uh, they don't have enough background in these kind of like psychological uh, operations to know what's happening to them. So get off of the Q and on and Q plantation. As fast as you can. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, I've kind of, and Lindsay can testify to this, even when, after Trump was elected a, a year or so, um, I, I just sensed and just kind of filled it and did some research. And I, I've just felt that there's, there's always been like basically two cabals, two groups that are competing. And, and I think the white hats are just as, you know, perhaps devious as the quote black hats that Q talks about. They just have a different agenda. Right. They just want to keep you on their plantation and control you and send you down there. And yeah. For Trump, I wouldn't be surprised if Trump was in on it, like putting out fake yeah. things and yeah. keeping you all paranoid and waiting for the. I mean, can you imagine like being like a little chicken waiting for the next Q drop? That's a huge industry. These are millions of people, millions of followers. Money's oh, being yeah. made. Books are being sold. It's kind of like the UFO thing where nobody has any proof of anything. It's just like, oh, Joe saw. A big light over the hill, you know. I don't have any actual tactile evidence. And it's, I mean, you want to talk about the, the spooks and kooks involved in UFO. Why aren't they there? I'm sure they're all over QAnon. Because there's yeah. other guys in there who uh, have some very interesting backgrounds. Man. So it's always, quote, former, unquote, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, what scares me is is there's tons of, Christians that are involved in the whole Q plantation, and I, I just think that they're being deceived. They're they're they are they're being, definitely being deceived. I can say yeah, one hundred percent assurance. Yep. I think the first yep. Q drop was Hillary Clinton is going to be arrested. Oh, I heard that every week at some point. Okay, well, I mean, at a certain point, when do you realize that you're the dog and your owner has done the ball trick on you? At what point do you go? <laughs> Yeah, no. That's a great it's analogy. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, I mean, I mean, and that's yeah. a want to believe. It's about epistemology. It's about your religion, how you coalesce among your friends. Some of these people know that adrenochrome, and not all these guys are full on pedophiles, although there are a lot of them are. But you know, they're it's it's yeah. preposterous. Some of the stuff. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, well, I guess it's getting about time to wrap up the the show. I appreciate it so much, but I had the, 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 the final question that Johnny wanted me to ask you. He wanted okay. me, he says, ask about uh, going for a Mars jump, going to the Mars jump room oh, and yeah. fi- fighting dinosaurs with a spork. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, Andrew Bassaggio, <laughs> Bassaggio, whatever. That's another like weird kind of mind control MK Ultra thing. Like he's apparently a lawyer from Washington, but he thinks that there's some kind of like where I live, it's about 12 blocks from where I live is supposedly a jump that uh, Obama has taken to Mars and then fought with dinos- that dinosaurs are, dinosaurs are on Mars. Like he literally has said that in public forums. So it's kind of like a recurring joke with me and Johnny that I'm going to go <laughs> over there. And with a spork. There's, there's a, yeah, <laughs> no, there's a coffee bean and tea leaf like right in that same complex. So I always say I'm going to go get a cup of coffee this fork and go to Mars and fight some dinosaurs. <laughs> and that's I love it. territory. Yeah, yeah man. Territory. I love it. I love it. So, so Well, look, uh, we, we appreciate it. Your time and I know how valuable it is and, and uh, we've enjoyed the show. And Good. Yeah. yeah thanks. Yeah. It's fun. So, thanks for having me.